Well, welcome, guys. Good to be here. Good to be anywhere, but it's good to be here especially. Uh, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here with this uh, fine crew at Artisan Church. And uh, let me pray one more time because I feel like I need it. Let's see what goes. God, as we now enter into a time of, of your word, we just pray that you would not merely open our ears to hear, but our hearts to be moved, our wills to respond, so that whatever you ask of us, whatever promises uh, you give for us, uh, we will act and respond to, to those. So speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. Do not let us be unchanged. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few of you already know this, and uh, some of you are sick of hearing it, but I grew up in northern Maine, so. (laughs) Seriously? And this time of year, it is still very much early spring. It's not nearly as... uh, as sunny and warm as it is here in, the, uh, in these very southern climes of Rochester, New York. Um, and as a really young boy, oh, I think we moved into our house when I was around age four. So it must have been five, six, seven, eight in that range. In the spring, myself and my good friend George McPherson, same age, lived right down the street. There on Griffin Ridge would go traveling and exploring all through the ridge as that spring thaw and runoff just in full force. And the rest of the year, it would be kind of just normal trees and gullies and gulches back there. But in the spring, it became this this sort of waterway of just running cold, dark, at times deep, and certainly dangerous waters. Uh, And we'd play and run around. But when we ever got close to that water, that again was very cold, you know, like 34 degrees, fast-moving, dark, and actually kind of deep, at least from my four-foot-whatever perspective, which I was four-foot-whatever for many years in there. And, uh, and so it always seemed kind of intimidating, a bit threatening, these waters, until stumbling around, playing with stuff I probably wasn't supposed to, George and I were probably using the power saw or something in the basement of my house, came across my father's waders. If you don't know what waders are, they are these, these rubberized boot overall combos that are used for trout fishing and fly fishing that you can get right in the water. And George remembered that his dad had some too. And so not being one for a lot of bureaucracy, red tape, you know, any of that stuff, we, uh, we just grabbed our dad's waders and headed right up the ridge to the top, put those waders on, and began to approach what before had been rather threatening, dark, dangerous waters. Now, they still were fairly dangerous and and cold and and intimidating, but there was something about being in those waders that that gave us the courage to take that first step in. There's this odd sensation of of the pressure of that water squeezing in on on our tiny legs that were just swimming in these waders and you know we'd put the overall part up and actually had to tie knots because there really wasn't any any need for it. so you know waders up to here and then slowly but surely gained some courage some confidence to keep going deeper into that water so it came above our knee our waist and and right up within a couple inches 
of the top of those waders. Uh, and then fearless, a bit stupid, but quite enthralled, we began to explore these once intimidating waters that we had stayed back from. At best, we'd thrown a few kind of stick boats in there and saw them float away, but we didn't want to get too close to the edge. Um, and what a different perspective, what an experience that was. Now, the waters were not any less dangerous or deadly. In fact, it wasn't unheard of for full-grown men to be out, you know, fishing and waders and probably with a little, little help, find themselves tipping over, falling, and then just filling them up with water and then being found miles downstream, uh, no longer with us. Uh, and so certainly a couple of seven, eight-year-old kids could have, uh, could have tipped in, gone under, been swept away as well. But I think in the back of our heads, we realized how dangerous it was. And the fact that we were able to navigate those dangerous waters was even more adventurous, more exhilarating. And so, as I was looking at the passage for this week, this idea of, of these waters and, and how do we navigate them got me thinking of all the things in our lives that, that just have that sense of, of a never-ending, overwhelming, dark cold, swift-moving stream of things that comes our way. And how often we approach those with fear and intimidation, and instead of coming up to the edge and plunging in, we hang back. Anyone relate to that? And yet somehow, a couple kids found a way to enter those waters. And so my hope is, as we look at the scriptures, we may see how God's people have, have figured this out beforehand. How do we go into those dangerous places, those risky places that stand between us and God's promises? And maybe don't get any safer or any less dangerous, but finally become navigable. We're finally able to pass through to the promise God has on the other side. And so we're... In the book of Joshua, this series, first six chapters, and this week we're looking at Joshua chapter 3. And so if you brought your own Bible, you can flip there, or if you want to use the ones under the chairs, those red Bibles on page 170. In God's people, Joshua chapter 3, the context is that they've been wandering for some 40-odd years, right? Rebellious, disobedient, complaining, not too bright, you know, going in circles. Uh, And finally, the last of those complainers, have, have died off, really, except for a couple faithful guys, Caleb and also Joshua, who's now their leader, now that Moses has, uh, has also passed away. And they're pursuing God's promises. He's asked them to go to this new place. He's promised to be with them. They have said, we will. And yet they find themselves with some barriers between here and there. And they're coming up to the edge of that. And that's where we pick it up in Joshua chapter 3. And so here, God's word. Joshua 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from Shittim with all the Israelites. And they came to the Jordan. They camped there before crossing over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people... When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place. Follow it 
so that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. And so it's reemphasized again. Some of us saw this when we were looking at uh, Joshua chapter 1, and it's certainly all throughout Scripture that that when God wants to move his people, it always starts with the leaders. Here Joshua and these officers are sort of rallying the people. It has to start with, with some group of men and women who will challenge the rest of us to break camp, to go somewhere. But you notice that it's not merely the leaders that go, but that everyone is included. In fact, as I've said many times, the people do not serve the leaders. The leaders serve the people. And you see them doing that. These officers going through the camp where they're just kind of hanging out around the fire, telling stories, toasting marshmallows or whatever they're doing there. And they're saying, it's time to break camp and make a move. And the way they're going to know how to go, where to go, is by following this Ark of the Covenant. And uh, if you've gotten your theology from, like, Indiana Jones, uh, you know that if you flip the lid, look in, you will melt. So, <laughs> But there's some other things you should know about the Ark of the Covenant as well. That may or may not be true. I, for one, would not test the idea, though. So just <laughs> start right there. But the Ark of the Covenant was this uh, special constructed box that had uh, a way to carry it so that they, the, those carrying it wouldn't have to touch it directly. It had uh, a lid where they, they put the, the tablets that Moses brought, the Ten Commandments, uh, the staff that Moses had used in those miraculous ways. They were stored in there. And on top, there was these two, two angel figures with wings. And this was kept in the Holy of Holies most times, that inner sanctum of the tabernacle, that traveling worship center that they kind of picked up occasionally and moved around the desert, you know, in these, this 40-year circle. No one asking for directions, just clearly guys leading. Uh, and what it meant for God's people was the place where God would especially manifest his presence, make himself known in such a way that it was clear, powerfully clear that he was amongst his people. And so in effect, what they're saying here is, is God's presence is going to go before us. And where God's presence leads, we should follow. And so, nothing too complicated. What, why? You know, it says right there in verse 4, so that you may know the way you should go. Now, they've had God's presence at work in their lives, you know, these past 40 years. And they've mostly been going in circles. And actually, that's, you know, to be fair, most of life is a lot like that. There's rhythms, there's cycles, there's repetition. And that's nothing to be too upset about. Or... And in those times, we should still be following God. Even when it gets comfortable, familiar, we've been that way before, it's still vital that we follow God. Think of how the rhythm of your, your day or your week or year to year. Think of the rhythm of this, this church community. You know, some four years old, but we sort of have a groove, Right? Occasionally it comes out in the music uh, that's a, that there's a pattern, a rhythm. You know, in the fall, it's huge outreach season for us usually. Tons of folks flock in, though increasingly that just doesn't seem to be stopping. Um, you're going to have to start being mean or something to send people away. Uh, to just come even more, I'm, I'm sure of it. So we do that, and then 
we sort of get grounded more so as we head through Advent towards Christmas. And then there's often some sort of New Year's resolution-y thing that we try to do as a community. And then there's that time of preparation heading towards Easter, that season of Lent. And then after Easter, like right now, we sort of wing it. You know, we just come up with something to do. Uh, and then in summer, it, it, it gets a little more, just a tiny bit more peaceful and chill. Mostly because we know fall's coming back around again. And we're going to start the cycle over. And it's crucial, even those familiar rhythms, that we follow God's presence. But catch what else it says there. Here's where it gets real important. Follow it so that you may know the way you should go. For you have not passed this way before. So there's also times where God says, time to break out of this rhythm. Where God says, what we've been doing and grown comfortable with, it's been good, sure. But now we're going to go in a new direction, a new place, a new area. I know as one of your, uh, your kind of camp leaders here that, uh, that, that's, that's called by God, affirmed by you guys, uh, along with Mike and Scott and our leadership team to, uh, to serve in this role as pastor, that one of the things I've been sensing as we've been following God and, and finally, finally seem to know what we're doing, right? Yeah, I, I see some quizzical looks because do we really? Well, more than we did, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years, especially four years ago. And just as we're in our groove, I feel like God is saying, you have not passed this way before. <laughs> I feel like he's taken us to a new place of promise. And you may be feeling that in your life. And if not, wait for it, because you will. You know, maybe it's, uh, you got real used to uh, living at home. You know, someone made your meals, washed your clothes, uh, took care of all those things, paid the car insurance, put a roof over your head, and then, then you went off to school. You have not been this way before, Right? Kind of that junior, senior year, some of you guys, lots of college students here involved at Artisan, uh, finally figured out, you know, how to, how to study well or not at all, but still get good grades. Uh, go through all the social, ec- uh, educational, economic things involved with school, and graduation is looming. And you realize you have not gone this way before. Been living on your own, kind of do your own thing. Darn it. You fall in love with this person. You just can't shake them, no matter how hard you try. And there's that engagement. You have not gone this way before. Newly married, things are going real well. Or a little bit of struggles. But you've got your rhythm. You know what's going on. You get to stay up late, do whatever you want on the weekends. And then, there's that pregnancy test. Oh, You have not gone this way before. Raised your kids. Maybe wished you could have done better. Maybe did a great job. Finally, they're gone. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? But then you say, now what do I do? Empty nester. I have not gone this way before. Full career, decades of experience. Now you're retired. What do I do? have not gone this way before. And everything in between, I've had my health, 
And then the test comes back. Never been this way. Had a job, and then it went away. This is some new territory. And in those times, it becomes really crucial to follow God's presence so that you may know the way you should go, especially when you have not passed this way before. And so Joshua challenges the people to to prepare for what God's going to do. Jumping uh, there to verse 5, he says to the people, sanctify yourself. Or other translations may say, consecrate yourself. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And so what does that mean? You know, time out. These are some big words we're using here, right? Sanctify myself. Consecrate myself. So does that mean that I have to sort of clean up my act? Get it all put together, right? Finally get myself straightened up enough so that God will, will finally, you know, deign to, uh, to kind of show me some direction. So finally I can earn his grace, uh, his love, his mercy. If I could just sanctify myself, whatever that means. Then, if that's what it's asking, man, we are in, we're in some trouble. Because we can't do it. We'll just keep wandering in circles, right? But we don't have it in us to, to clean up our act, to, to correct for our rebellion, our sin, uh, just our plain old stupidity at times, uh, all those things. And so what it's saying there is to have this attitude of, of receiving, of being ready. And really the word sanctify or consecrate that's used is just talking about taking something rather ordinary, nothing to recommend it, and setting it apart for God to do something with and through and in. And it's not this endless process that eventually someday, you know, you know, a couple of years from now, we'll finally have been able to, to buy this, this building that we're renting, say. Uh, you know, months from now, we'll kind of figure out how to do ministry really well so that, uh, so that people are, are served well, uh, grow in their faith, come to Christ. Uh, you know, a few weeks from now, we'll finally work out the kinks. Uh, you know, a couple days, it says, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. He's not looking to wait around. And so, if it's coming tomorrow, when should we get ready? Probably yesterday, but at least we still have today. And so, it continues on. And it's finally pushes coming to shove, if you will. And there's some action required. In the end of verse 8, God gives Joshua... The words to to command the people, particularly the priests. And Joshua says to them, the end of verse 8, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. When you come to the edge of something, what's your first impulse? You know, that survival instinct that even a couple clueless seven-year-old kids can come up to the edge of of some raging 34-degree water just tearing down the ridge and say, you know what, I think I'll take a step back from that. And when we come to the edge of of all these choices and 
and challenges and opportunities, our survival instinct, which has served us well so many times, is to take a step back from the edge. Sometimes God's presence uh, goes beyond that edge. And so God's people, which includes us and those seeking and searching, have a choice when we come to that edge. Do we do the smart thing, the survival instinct, the action that served us well so far of taking a step back to live another day? Or do we stand still in the place God is calling us to? And now remember, this river, this edge they're coming to, isn't some little babbling brook, you know, just sort of gently going across the uh, English countryside. In fact, in verse 15, it says, beginning of 15, it says, Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Uh, the NIV says it this way. Now the Jordan is at flood stage. All during harvest. This is a raging river. Just tearing out chunks of bank. Cold, dark, wide and deep. And we're going to get in that? I don't think so. And so this river is a barrier between where we are and where God's promises are calling us. And it's in those moments at the edge that camp starts looking really nice. Right? Sit around the fire, tell stories, you know, toast marshmallows. Uh, the, kind of the babbling uh, brook or raging river. You get far enough back and it's soothing at that point, right? It just sort of drowns out the noise. And yet, if we don't deal with that, we can never experience what's on the other side. And so I have to confess, it's not one of those, uh, I'm going to break down bawling here, though. A bunch of you would love to see that. Uh, someday. If I'm winged. Um, it's not quite a confession of, of, of just unending rebellious sin though there's a there's a taint of that certainly but right now in my life i'm finding it very difficult not to focus on the river i look at my calendar google calendar pull it up on my just gorgeous 24 inch imac screen and it's an evil evil program, even though they say they will do no evil, um, because you can just keep adding categories and other, and you can click them on, and you know, it sort of looks like someone sat down with a bowl of fruity pebbles and then just hurled right on the screen, because it's, and that's what it feels like sometimes, and recently, as I've opened that calendar and looked at the different categories that relate to being a dad and a husband, because I'm sort of, I actually put on the calendar things that relate to being a dad or a husband, uh, pastoral things, entrepreneurial things, commitments to friends and family, and on and on. And it's just this endless river. And I, I need to admit, it feels overwhelming. 
I stare at it. And camp starts looking really nice. And yet it says, you got to take a step in. Anyone here focused on the river right now? That you finally get one thing figured out? You know, the bills. Not the football team. They will never figure them out. Uh, The money you spend is finally close to the money you bring in. It feels like the river is calming. Then that transmission falls out. Those braces are needed. That hospital bill comes through. That job evaporates. And the river keeps coming. Finally feel like you're in a good place with your spouse. Finally figure out how to talk with each other and negotiate the craziness of different personalities. And why would God put two people so different together? <laughs> Unless he has just a, a deep and cruel sense of humor. And, uh, and then something else kind of comes into the mix. An emotional issue, a physical problem, uh, outside forces that... Thank God you're kind of in it together because alone it would, it would sweep you away. And I'm sure each and every one of you could think of all the things that just keep rushing from upstream. And you don't want to step in. And yet God's people are not a people that are meant to live on the edge. And they're certainly not a people that are meant to stay back in camp. So the end of verse 15 says, So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, while those flowing toward the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. And then the people crossed over opposite Jericho, While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over. If you notice, the river doesn't go down until they step in. And if we just keep waiting and waiting and waiting for that special moment where the river finally goes down um, we will be at camp forever and so this last week this weekend in fact having come off a a crazy schedule and again looking at the calendar it's not going to get any better for for a few weeks now not looking for anyone's sympathy or pity it's you know it's both things that i choose to do and in some ways feel i should do it doesn't mean it's not a river. And as I looked at those things, uh, I thought for sure, you may wish that this was true, that I was going to have to spend all day yesterday preparing this message. Because I was gone all week. There was no time to do it. The week before that, you know, I, I kind of knew, looked at a few things. And I said, God cannot pull this off. We're going to step in. 
So I found myself spending more time praying, less time preparing, and all of a sudden I had the rest of my day to spend with my family, whom I hadn't seen for a whole week because I was away. You don't always get the best of their dad and their, and their husband uh, because of the river. And I stepped in and I found that it went down a little bit. I'm going to start living like that some more. And so I'd encourage you to take those steps and see if the river doesn't start to recede. Especially if you're following God's presence. In that cold spring runoff, those two kids from northern Maine, without even realizing it, waded into some deep theological waters. That there in their dad's waders, going into those waters, they discovered a truth that I had forgotten. A truth that most of us don't realize. And because of that, we step back from the edge. But George and I found that when you walk in that protection and presence of your father, you don't need to fear the water. Let's pray. And so, Father God, we confess that we are people who are comfortable around the campfire and afraid of the edge and that we refuse so many times to take that first step of faith because we focus on the never-ending river of challenges and choices, opportunities, and so on that just threaten to pull us under and sweep us away. And we forget that on the other side is your promises. We forget that when life is at flood stage, as the verse says, that's often the time of harvest. And so my prayer is the flood that I'm experiencing in my life, the flood that I'm sensing at work here in this church and in so many individual people, that what that represents is an opportunity for harvest and for us to recognize that we are incapable of crossing those waters on our own and that we absolutely, without a doubt, need you to lead the way. And so help us not be afraid of the edge. Thank us that through your Son, Christ Jesus, you have parted those waters. You have made a way. And that you call us to come out of camp, to step past the edge, and to walk in your presence and protection because you have great promise in store for us in this life and beyond. And it's ours to pursue as you call us. Do that, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
And so come hell or high water, our response to God should be, we will. And one of the most powerful ways that happens in the lives of those who choose to follow Jesus is through that sacrament of baptism. These waters representing the death of Jesus, his own baptism, cleansing, purification, so many things tied in to that rich metaphor. And that because Christ has gone before us, we can receive his grace. And through that, that symbol and sacrament, experience that in our lives. And so tonight we're going to celebrate that with a few of the folks that have become part of this family here at Artisan. And so I'm going to go over this way. These gentlemen right here, who, uh, against all odds, in my opinion, um, don't look like your 26-year-old computer programmers living in a loft here off of Park Ave, right? No, the, the normal artisan MO uh, for many of us here. But uh, Bob and Wayne uh, have been part of artisan here for a few months, uh, live just down the street, uh, and for whatever bizarre reason, God in his grace has allowed us to experience them as part of our community and that we've been a blessing in their lives as well. And so we want to celebrate um, their faith uh, through both an affirmation of baptism for Bob and an actual uh, celebration of baptism for Wayne. And so, Bob, if you'd come on up. Wayne, you can stand with Bob. And so Bob here, uh, desires to make public affirmation today of his baptismal covenant. This affirmation is a sign of a renewed commitment of his life to Jesus Christ, to the life and the work of the church of Jesus, and to the mystery of the Lord's salvation. Bob here uh, received that sacrament of baptism as a young man. You were 18, right? About to head off to war. And and was baptized. And that baptism was not superficial, was not pretend. It was real. So there's no need for a re-baptism. But it is sometimes important and powerful to return to those waters, to remember our baptism. And so as a sign of that, uh, Bob wants to express once again his faith. And so Bob received the sacrament of holy baptism as a young man. And by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, he now has received afresh that experience of salvation then witnessed to those many decades ago. What year was that? 1950? 1950. I wasn't quite born yet. I'm not even sure my parents were, but no, they were. They were two and three at that point, so good deal. And today, we have new cause to offer praise to God, whose word does not return void, but accomplishes that for which it was sent. And we are glad with the host of heaven who rejoices over one sinner who repents. And so let me ask you, Bob, having experienced God's faithfulness in your life, 
and knowing the joy of the Lord's salvation, you wish now to affirm your baptismal covenant in the presence of this congregation. You wish to bear witness that God, who has begun a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we wish to lay hands on you and pray for you, and so to bear witness to the Lord's care and provision. So let me ask you, Bob. Do you renounce all the forces of evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? If so, say, I do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? And will you now and continually witness to your faith? If so, say, I will. I will. You want to say a few words to these folks here? If you were going to say something, what would it be, though? <laughs> just, just tell me. <laughs> just hope all of them would get baptized so be with the Lord. And so the experience of God's relationship in your life through Jesus, did you assume some of this motley crew would have that, too? Yes. Yeah. Me, too. Me, too. Thank you, Bob. And so you've made public confession of your faith. Do you intend to continue in the covenant of God made with you in holy baptism to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word and share in the Lord's Supper? If so, say, I do. And say, I ask God to help and guide me. And do you intend to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to seek Christ and serve him in all people, and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth? If so, Say, I do. do. And I ask God to help and guide me. And so, with these baptismal waters, come on over. I add to them some water I saved from our baptism last year, where I had the privilege of baptizing. As believers in Jesus, a little 10-year-old kid and a little 7-year-old girl, my son and my daughter, along with a few other folks here. And as this unending succession of those faithful to the gospel, sharing it with one another, I think it's a great symbol to pour these in. So, Bob, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remember your baptism and walk in it all your days. Continue to serve him and love him and serve and love his people and serve and love those he would call you to. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. So will you stay up here with us and help us with this guy here in case he struggles a bit? (laughs) Help me hold him down. So, Wayne, would you come on up here? And so, Wayne, let me flip here.
So today, Wayne presents himself to the church for the sacrament of holy baptism. And we rejoice in God's promises to those taking the significant step of faith. And so, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, as God called and chose his servant people Israel and made covenant with them saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. So in the fullness of time, God called and chose Jesus Christ to fulfill this covenant for all. Through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, God made a new covenant of grace whereby we say, I am yours and the people you have given me. And today we come to claim the promises of that new covenant, rejoicing that our Savior Jesus Christ instituted baptism as a visible sign of the covenant making, our washing with water by the word, our habitat in Christ, crucified and risen, our bonding in water with brothers and sisters in Christ, our solidarity with those with whom he is in solidarity, and our commissioning to serve in Jesus' name. And so let us hear baptism's promise and call, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Romans 6, verse 3 through 4 reminds us, those of us who've been baptized, and challenges us who have not yet followed Jesus in faith or through this act of obedience. It says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so, Wayne, let me ask you, will you continue to walk with Christ in this new life he's given you? And do you now desire to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If so, say, I do. In proclaiming this covenant with Jesus Christ, do you renounce all the powers of evil and declare your opposition to a way of life in contradiction to the gospel? And do you repent of your sins, confessing Christ as Savior and Lord and living as his faithful disciple? And will you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer? If so, say, I will. I will. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you do all in your power to participate fully in the life of this congregation, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If so, say, I will. And now I ask you, because no one goes it alone. People of God, will you promise to uphold and support both Bob and his reaffirmation and now Wayne in his life in Christ? If so, say, with God's help, we will. With God's help, 
we will. And so Scott, you know, come up and give me a hand here. Would you like to say any words, Wayne? Let me, yes. Let me turn this on. Bringing me to the, Go ahead and start over. You want to thank the Lord? That's my fault. For bringing us to the church, this church. We, Pastor Scott, Jason, and Mike, have become part of our family as well as the congregation, and we look. This has become our new home, and we. Have and we just thank the Lord in our name and his name our Savior. Thank you. Amen. It's good to be part of the family of God. And so, Wayne, if you come over here, I'm going to take you by the arm a little bit. Take a step up there. And uh, Scott now hooked you in. Take one step over. I do. We'll hold you the whole time. If you'd like to, sure. Go for it. <laughs> well, let's not have you tip over now. We got this far. <laughs> get your hearing aid out. Nothing to... All that stuff. When Wayne first started coming to Artisan, I came in the morning where our music tends to be a little, a little more melodic, a little quieter sometimes. And I warned him that, uh, go ahead and come stand up front here. I warned him that if he came in the evening, that uh, tends to turn up the volume a little bit. He said, oh, that's no big deal. I'll just shut my hearing aid off. So, uh, <laughs> so we're good. Go ahead and put your feet there and let's just sit right down. Scott, would you help in there? And Bob, I think it'd be appropriate if you want to come over here with me. And that's... A family member and friend and part of this. Would you just place your hand here on him as well? So go ahead and cover your mouth and nose there. And so Wayne, it is a privilege and an honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Rise up. Amen. Welcome. So while Scott helps uh, Wayne there, how can we not respond ourselves to the reality that God changes lives? Don't stay on the edge. Couldn't be any simpler. And so you may choose to respond to God through coming to the table tearing a piece of the bread that is his body broken for us, that passed through those waters of death. Dip it in the wine of the juice labeled, that cup that's a new covenant in his blood. And receive for your spiritual nourishment so you can walk in the presence and protection 
through those dangerous waters and experience the promise that's on the other side. If that's not appropriate for you because you're not yet there, you're a few steps back from the edge, that's okay. You can take your time here. But I challenge and encourage you, don't get too comfortable camping out. The action is in the water into the promise that lays on the other side. So let me pray as we continue to respond and worship. God, I ask you now that as we approach your table or for those who need prayer and conversation as they come and seek out myself or others, that we would just sense your presence leading and guiding us to be a people not on the edge, but right in the midst of it and a people who pursue your promises. If any are here today, focused on the river, lift their eyes to your promises. And for those who have not yet taken you by the hand, the only one who can take them through those waters, I pray they would. And I pray it because you went there yourself. And through your life and death, You took to the bottom and held it under until it was dead. All our sin and rebellion and stupidity. And when you came back up, you rose to new life. And you offer that to us. I pray for those who haven't yet received that, that perhaps this day they would. Because starting tomorrow, you are ready to do wonders in their life. It may feel like a flood. There's a harvest at hand. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Approach the table as God leads you. I'm going to hang out in the back corner there if anyone wants to talk or pray. Respond in song and worship. It's good to be together.